I believe with all my heart that God has made it clear that we need to get back to being Liberty Baptist Church and quit letting circumstances affect what we do and what we don't do. Now, we're going to be careful. We're going to be clean. We're going to be safe as we can be. But folks, listen, we're going to be obedient to God above everything else. Y'all with me? Say amen. So, with that said, I want you to turn to the book of Haggai. I want you to look at this with me. Please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. I'm going to do a two-part message this morning and tonight on the first seven verses. Look at Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheal. T-L, that's the way it's pronounced, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, that's the way that's pronounced, the high priest saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, it is time for you, O ye that dwell in sealed houses, and this house <coughs> lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you're not enough. You drink and you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but you're not warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put into a bag of holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Father, I just pray that you'd help us to just focus on what you, what I believe with all my heart you have put as a direction for us here at Liberty. I pray that, Father, each of us would come to be on the same page, to, Father, to walk in obedience to what I believe you said. And, Father, I pray today that you would speak to us through this passage that is absolutely amazing how it ties to what we're doing, what, what's going on today. And we'll praise you and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look first at the exhortation to building. Now, what is the, what is the purpose of the book of Haggai? Well, the book of Haggai, the purpose of it was this, that God's people would come back to the place of building the temple of God. Now, remember this. Israel was in bondage in Babylonian captivity for years. And God raised up a heathen king called Cyrus and as God raised up his heathen king, this heathen king, now listen, God put this on a heathen king's mind. And he said to Israel, he said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And so he directed them, a heathen king, to go back to the land that God had gave them, the city, the holy city, the center of all the earth. And, it, and then Cyrus didn't stop there. Cyrus said, now, not only do I want you to go back to Jerusalem, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to build the foundation and the altar to the temple. And when you do so, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you all the resources and all the material to be able to do that. Now you think, well, wait a minute. Why would a heathen king help God's people to obey God? Well, can I tell you? Because God put it in his heart. Do you understand today that even God can move the heart of a heathen king? Do you understand today even God can change the heart of a heathen person? And so you and I need to understand, God is totally in control. And therefore, God tells Israel, build the temple. Now, 16 years has went by. And what's happened 
is absolutely unbelievable. Now, what I want to do is I want to look the purpose of this book. Is Haggai is going to come in and in four separate messages through these two chapters, he's going to try to encourage and exhort these people to get back to putting the first thing first, which was what? Obeying God above everything else. And so this was what Haggai was sent to do. Now what Haggai did here is he begun by having God speak to him and then he spoke to Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel was the governor or the leader of the people in Judea in that day. Joshua was the high priest of the people in that day. Now you say, wait a minute. Is this the same Joshua as in the book of Joshua that led him across the the Jordan into Canaan? No, this is a separate Joshua. But here's the reality. Why did God say to Haggai to go to these two men and not to the people at the beginning? Here's the reason. Because God understood that if the leadership's not on board, then he will never ever lead the people to obey the will of God. And so therefore, he spoke to the leader that the leaders could get on board, that the people would follow the leadership of the people that, of the people that God put over them. That's the reason God did it this way. Now, so what do we need to do to consider this, this, this chapter? We're going to look at verse one and two today. And then tonight we'll come back and look at three through seven. The first thing we need to look at is a past to be considered. We need to understand the backdrop of this book of Haggai. Now to understand that, it's found in the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. Now understand this. As I said, Cyrus has now allowed Israel to go back to Jerusalem, gave them all the resources. Isn't that a miracle? Gave them all the resources to begin to rebuild the temple. Now, when you come to Ezra chapter 3, what you find is they've already built the altar in the first half of Ezra chapter 3. And then in the second half of Ezra 3, they began to lay the foundation of the temple. Now look with me at verse 10 of Ezra 3. And listen to what it says. When the builders lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the son of Asheth with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinances of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because He is good and His mercy endureth what? In other words, here's what happened. The, the, they laid the foundation. They've already built the altar. They laid the foundation. And all of a sudden they look back and they look at what they've done. And all of a sudden they go, oh, listen, God, to you be the glory. Can you imagine the mercy that God would show to us that we were a heathen people, we were a disobedient people, that you had to send into captivity because of our idolatry, and yet you and your mercy and grace would bring us back to Jerusalem and let us lay the foundation and build the altar. Oh God, to you be the glory. In other words, they were praising God. Why? Because they were obeying God. Now, watch what it says. Verse number 11, middle. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, in other words, experienced all the glory of God in the first temple. When the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted for joy. 
So here's the, the younger folks that didn't know of the first temple, didn't know of the manifested glory of God in the, in the first temple. And now they see the foundation of the second. They shouting and praising God. And here's the priest that remember those days of the temple of old. And all of a sudden now they see the beginning works of being restored to be able to worship God the way God said to worship. And all of a sudden now what do they do? They begin to weep in brokenness. Why? They were overwhelmed by the fact that God would show so much mercy to them. Verse 13, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Let me tell you something, folks. This preacher is going to shout when you and I get back to doing what we should be doing. Amen? Now, as we consider this past that lays out the book of Haggai, something drastically changed. You say, what changed? What took away the shouts? What took away the weeping of joy? Well, let me show you. Chapter 4. The first thing we're going to look at is the deception of the enemy. Look at verse 2. Then came Zerubbabel, to the chief of the fathers. Now who's the they? This is the Samaritans that were the neighbors of Jerusalem. They were heathen people. They had nothing to do with Israel. But they came to Zerubbabel, the governor, and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him as in the days of Ezra Hayden King. Now you say, what were they saying? Well, here was a group that was had nothing to do with Israel. But they came to Israel and they said, all right, guys, listen. We want to be a help to you. We just want to help you. We want, to, we want what's best for you. And we just want to be a help to you. But here's the problem. They had no intention of helping. They were being deceptive. Now, praise God, Joshua and Zerubbabel had enough discernment not to align with them. But here's what happened. Even though they expressed a desire to be helpful, to give counsel, to get help with direction and building, this was the desire of the enemy. Look at verse 4 and verse 5 of chapter 4 of Ezra. Then the people of the land, being the Samaritans, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius of Persia. So what was their desire? Their desire wasn't to help them. Their desire was to control and have authority over them and to stop the work of God. Does that sound like anything we're going through today? You see, this was the desire of these of Samaria. So they wanted control. They wanted authority. They wanted the thwart, the work of God. But they did it under the auspice 
We're just trying to be good neighbors. We just want to be a help. We just want to give you good labor and good counsel. Now, as much as that sounds like what we went through today, can I tell you, it even gets worse. You say, what do you mean it gets worse? Well, notice thirdly, the decree of the enemy. Go down, if you will, to verse number 24 of Ezra. The Bible says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. What caused it to cease? Well, if you look at verse 23, here's what happened. The Samaritans, when Israel would not align themselves with them, the Samaritans began to promulgate a lot of falsehood and accusations against Israel. You find that in the middle of chapter 4. To the point that Artaxerxes, the king, began to give his ear until these namesayers and these that were trying to gain control and authority. And Artaxerxes, in giving his ear to these folks, made a decree, a law that said the work of the house of God had to stop. Does that sound like anything we went through? And this is the past that has to be considered to understand the book of Haggai. Because when you come to Haggai chapter 1, you're 16 years later. So 16 years, they have stopped the work of God. And God says to Haggai, now's the time. Tell the people. Tell the people. Get back to what I told you to do 16 years ago. Now, watch this with me. Not only do we need to see the past that has to be considered, but notice the period that needs to be considered. Notice what it says in verse number 1 of Haggai. In the second year of Darius, now remember, Cyrus was king, then Darius. So in the second year of Darius, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord. So why is that significant? What period makes this so significant that God would choose to speak now concerning this issue? Because here's the amazing thing. We're not going to go back, <coughs> but if you went back to Ezra chapter number 3, here's what you're going to find. That when they built the altar, they built it and they finished it on the first month of uh, first day of that month. And here's what happened. They went and they fed, they gave themselves to the the festival that God ordained for them to give themselves called the festival of the new moon. And they praised and they shouted and they sacrificed unto God as worship. And so they've abandoned all that for 16 years. And now God comes on this same day and He says on this day that you should be celebrating and having a festival, praising my name. Instead, you've abandoned the house of God. Now listen to what I'm about to say. This building is not the house of God. You and I are the house of God. But you and I is what makes this fellowship a church. Y'all with me? And so here is Haggai in the word of the Lord. And he comes and he says to them, listen, 
On this day, you should be sacrificing unto me. On this day, you should be praising me. Now, what would they praise him for? Well, the Feast of the New Moon involved three things. Number one, they would praise him for what he's already done, how he's already so mightily provided for them. And then they would praise him for what? He um, is doing in their life. In other words, he would praise him, praise him for his prote- their protection that they had. Can you imagine Israel in all those years of captivity and now God in His sovereign and providential work has brought them back to the place that they could build back the temple and do everything God told them they needed to do and worship and sacrifice and all of those things and yet they gave themselves not to it. And God comes on that very day that they would be praising Him for all of this. And He says, why? Why have you stopped? And then here's the third thing they would praise Him for, for what He's going to do. These are the three facets of the Feast of the New Moon. Now, do you find it amazing? Guess what Haggai's name means in Hebrew? Festive. So you, if you don't think there's a significance in this, you need to understand, God took the, the prophet whose name was festive on the day they should be celebrating and praising God for His provision, His protection, and for what He was about to do in their lives. And instead, they've abandoned everything. And God says through Haggai, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Why? Why have you done that? Now, this is the period that we have to consider. But notice thirdly, the people to be considered. Notice the beginning of verse 2. He says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people. Now, you say, wait a minute. Why didn't he call them his people? Now, here's the amazing thing. They're only speaking to the remnant of Israel. They're not speaking of all of Israel. You say, how do you know that? Well, verse 12, when they come to the place of obeying God, God says now he calls them the remnant of the people. In other words, he now classifies them unto himself. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Why is it just the remnant of people he's speaking to? Because here's the reality. When they were in Babylonian captivity, when when God worked it out through Cyrus that they could be released from that captivity, a lot of Israel said, hey, we kind of like Babylon. I mean, we're kind of flourishing here in Babylon. We don't want to leave Babylon. And they chose to stay under the authority of Babylon instead of giving themselves to the authority of God. And there was only a remnant of the people that came out and went back to Jerusalem and began to build the temple 16 years earlier. So God's speaking to the remnant. In other words, the faithful of the faithful of the faithful of the faithful. And God says to the faithful of the faithful of the faithful of the people, you say to this people, not my people. Why? They were his people. They were. So why did he say it? Because they wasn't acting like his people. What made them not act like his people? Well, they wasn't obeying him. They they wasn't obeying God and building the temple of God. And so God says, hey, you say to this people, this remnant people, but also this rebellious people. What do you mean rebellious? Well, they were the right people at the right place at the right time with all the right resources. 
but yet their circumstances were greater than their obedience. This is what we're dealing with here. Look secondly at the excuse concerning building. Look with me first. Listen to what I'm about to say. I'm going to quote a couple people. How many of y'all ever heard of Billy Sunday? I mean, a preacher of old, evangelist of old. Listen to what Billy Sunday said about an excuse. I love this. Here's what Billy Sunday said. An excuse is the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. Let me say it again. An excuse is a skin of reason stuffed with a lie. What does he mean by that? In other words, when you and I bring an excuse to try to excuse ourselves from obeying God, doing what we know we're supposed to do in obedience to God, putting self-pleasure, self-protection, everything else above God, here's what we're really doing. We're reasoned within ourselves. We try to justify it within ourselves. But in reality, if I'm disobeying God, whatever I'm trying to reason in myself is a lie. And Billy Sunday says an excuse is reason, but draped in a lie. Now, I'm going to quote somebody that wasn't of the faith, or at least I don't, to my knowledge, wasn't of the faith. You say, well, preacher, you should never quote somebody that wasn't of the faith. Well, I'm going to quote this guy. You say, why? Because it's an absolute awesome quote. I don't, I don't know if he was of the faith or not, but I'm going to tell you something well. He had some wisdom when he said this. And you say, well, who is it? Benjamin Franklin. You say, Benjamin, you're going to quote Benjamin Franklin from the I am! You understand why in just a minute. Listen to what Benjamin Franklin said. I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. That'll preach right there, folks. I never knew a man that was good at making excuses that were good at anything else. And I want to tell you something, folks. Here's what's happening with Israel. They have reasoned within themselves that they're not to build the house of God. Why? Because their own self-interest was more important at the moment. Now, let me show you how the Lord exposes this excuse. Notice what he says in verse 2. This people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They reasoned within their mind, they said with their lips, hey, listen, it's just not the right timing. We're just waiting on the right timing to get back to obeying God. We're just waiting on the right timing to get back to doing what God told us to do. It's just not time. Now, why would they reason that way? Well, let me give you this, okay? First thing is the people's fear. What were they fearful of? The Samaritans. You remember what we read in Ezra? It says that they stopped the work because of the people until the second year of Darius. What does that mean? In other words, the reason they didn't think it was time is because they were scared of a people that came against them 16 years earlier. Fear is what kicked them out of obeying God. And so here is this people now living in a state of absolute fear. But hey, they don't have any problem building their own houses. But fear says it's not time. I mean, listen, if we go back and do what God told us to do, there's going to be consequences. They're going to come against us again. Hey, listen, they hurt my feelings when they made those accusations about me. 
I mean, listen, they may even get violent. I mean, listen, it may, it may cost me some physical aspects of my life. I, listen, I, I can't go back to doing that. Fear. Fear. I wrote this quote down. Quote the Lord gave me. They had reasoned in their mind that the safest thing to do was focus on their own things instead of obedience to the Lord. You know, listen, it's not time for us to give ourselves to the things of God. So let me take this time and take care of myself. Does this sound familiar, y'all? Not only the people's fear, but the people's forgetfulness. What do you mean forgetfulness? Well, if they would have remembered who God was and what God did, they would have knew it was past time to get back to building. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember what I told you. God raised, God moved upon a heart of a heathen king to be the deliverer that brought them out of Babylonian captivity. God moved upon the heart of a heathen king to give them all the supplies and every material they needed to rebuild the temple, which God would never, ever want to leave desolate. They, they Listen, they forgot that God protected them to the point that even when Cyrus was king, that God protected the holy vessels of the temple to the point that God protected them in a way that the, the holy vessels of the temple made their journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem intact to be used to worship a holy God. God protected not only them, but God protected the tools of worship. In other words, they forgot that God was in control. They forgot who God was. And because of that, they said it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Liberty, listen to your pastor's heart. It's past time. That we get back to what God called Liberty Baptist Church to do. And I want you to listen to my heart. Now listen to me. Please listen to me. I've said this once, I'm going to say it again. I have no problem with people that have underlying health conditions or very difficult health conditions trying to be saved. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. God never intended His people to worship away from His people. Online is not church. Period. You say why? Because God intended that His people fellowship together under the Word. You say, well, preacher, you know, listen, I, I come on Sunday mornings. Well, listen, you would have hated it in the beginning of the church. You say, why would I hate it? Because they worshiped every day under the apostles' doctrine. You say, preacher, are you saying we're going to worship every day? Hey, if you'll let me, I'll preach. 
But what I'm saying to you is God's design for the church, even from the beginning, was to come together and fellowship in the word. Come together. Why? Iron sharpeneth iron. Come together. Why? Because you and I need koinonia fellowship one with another as brothers, sisters in Christ. Come together. Why? Listen, there's people out there say, well, the church is just a universal church. It doesn't, it doesn't measure in the Bible to be a local church. I got news for you. If it was just a universal church, then why in the world did Paul start one in Ephesus? Why did Paul start one in Philippi? Why did Paul start one in Colossae? Why did Paul start one in Galatia? Why did Paul start one in Thessalonica? Why did God give Paul direction to start individual local assemblies all across Asia and Asia Minor. I want to tell you why. Because God knew that you and I needed one another. I remember days in my ministry where we'd have a service and one person would obey God. Get broken before God. And respond in obedience of faith to what God was telling them. And the moment that person obeyed, it's like God let go of the floodgates. I've seen times, folks. I saw a time where my youth pastor, at a church I pastored, another church I pastored, my youth pastor got under conviction that he was lost. And that moment he came and stood before me and he said, Pastor, I don't know how to tell you this, but God just saved me right there in that pew. And that moment, when that happened, the invitation lasted an hour and 15 minutes. And we had two deacons and a deacon's wife get saved. Why? Because iron sharpeneth iron. And God worked through that man's obedience to penetrate the hearts of other people. You can't duplicate that at home. You can't do it. God designed it this way. Thirdly, the people's failure. They made a conscious choice. A conscious decision. That their self-interest was more important than God's interest. Now listen, folks. Every command that God gives us, I'm going to let y'all off the hook. Y'all say amen. Every command God gives you is not for you to obey. You say, preacher, you're confusing me. Let me finish. But every command God gives you is a command that as you give your hands and your feet and your mouth and your ears and your body to Him, He enables in you and through you to obey what only God can do. Now, I have to yield and I have to submit and I have to surrender. But when I do, here's what I find out. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all can agape love the people that you dislike the most without God? Anybody can do that? Please stand up. I want to talk to you. None of us can. But God commanded us, love your enemy. He he just meant, well, just be friends. Oh, no, no, no. It's agape. You love your enemy the way I loved you. God loves you. How are we doing? But that's a command. 
You say, why would God command me to do something I can't do? That's the point. The point was, you give yourself to me and I'll do through you what you could never do to start with. So when you, in, when you obey, listen, don't pat yourself on the back. It wasn't you that obeyed. Y'all say amen. If you obeyed, it's because God through you obeyed. Now, you had to give yourself. You had to trust Him. But God's the one that enabled you. But see, these people forgot who God was. And because they forgot who God was, and because they forgot what God's done, and because they forgot the character and nature of God, they said it's not time for us to obey. Because if we do, it could lead to my harm. And God gives me common sense. Now, I know I'm going to rub some people the wrong way, but y'all going to love me say amen. Show me anywhere in here that common sense trumps the revelation and the commands of God. Y'all say amen. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying liberty. It's time to be available for God to rebuild this church again. Every church, every church, every church, not just liberty, every church has been drastically, drastically affected by what's been going on in our country. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited for the first time in a long time. You can ask Mike. I've not been worth shooting for about two weeks. Mike, am I telling the truth? Poor old Mike, how he's been gone. But poor old Mike had to hear it all. And you say, why is that, preacher? Because I was having so much trouble getting discernment of how to pastor the people that I love the most and how to help people that I love so much. And when God spoke to me that Thursday morning and gave us direction, listen, it took me a little while to process it. But I want to tell you right now, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Because here's the reality. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. But Israel obeys God. And when they do, here's what God says. And I'm going to paraphrase very loosely. Y'all say amen. He said, just hang on. You ain't going to believe what I'm about to do in your midst. That's what he tells them. Now, he lists what he's going to do. But I'm telling you, he just, he's just saying, I'm going to show up and show out. Liberty, are you ready to get back to be in Liberty Baptist Church? I'll tell you what's going to happen if we obey God. God will show up and show out. Amen? Amen. Father, I love you. I thank you. And I praise you. For your divine protection, your divine provision, and your divine love. And I pray today, Father, that Father, as you guide our steps in this,
what I believe 100% is your will and your way for us. The Father, we, as your people, would go into this with a great sense of expectation and excitement that God, you want to work. You want to do something so marvelous in our midst. But Father, for you to accomplish all that you want to accomplish, it's going to take all of us coming to the place of saying, Father, obedience to you trumps everything else in my life. My own self-interest, my own self-amusement, my own self-protection. Obedience has to be first and foremost in me. Father, I pray that you'd begin that in me. Because, Father, I'd be the first to confess that there's many times in my life that I find myself putting other things before you. Father, I pray you'd work this in me as you work this in us. Father, that the end result of all this, that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. You'd help us to grow in grace and knowledge. You'd help us like a plant be drawn to the light of your glorious grace. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you're going to do. Father, I can't wait to see you work in our midst. I believe, Father, no matter how all this shakes out, through the midst of this COVID. Our best days are ahead of us. If we're just obedient to you. Father, I pray it begin right here in this invitation. Father, whatever we need to obey you in, you'd move up on our hearts to start right here, right now. Putting the first thing first. Making sure you're our first love. Making sure that you are above everything else in our life. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name.